we want to go ahead and uh, shift gears. Uh, continue, we're continuing our uh, study in the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians. This morning, last week, and I'll do this on occasion, every once in a while we'll move around a little bit in the book. I want to go ahead and get us started. And some of this I'll come back to as we go along. The book of Galatians, as understood generally within the Christian community, is a book about grace versus law. And as I said uh, last week, I don't think that's what it's about at all. I think it's all about the purity of the gospel message, how one comes into right relationship with God. And so our, our um, consistent, overarching, uh, big idea is God has blessed us with his unlimited grace, which brings us the security of his peace. When a person makes the decision to admit their sin, and believe in Yeshua's atonement for themselves, that God brings them into relationship with himself and holds on to them. We do not have to do mitzvahs in order to continue to have access to God's righteousness. Instead, God has made us righteous once and for all through through our belief in Yeshua's atonement for our sins. We are secure in this truth. So I want to just give a quick general overview of the uh, book of Galatians, all right? Obviously, as you can tell here, the author is Shaul, all right? The book written somewhere around 47 CE while Paul was in Antioch, which is uh, a city uh, just on the... In modern-day Turkey, it's just before you get to the border with Syria along the coast of the Mediterranean. And you'll see a map here in a couple of minutes, all right? Uh, and um, it is a book, it is the first book written in the New Covenant text, right? Book of Galatians is the first book in the Brichadasha, written around 47, written by Shaul, written before the, um, the Jerusalem Council, which is in Acts 15, and some people dispute it, well, it's fine, but that's my understanding of it. Shaul, of course, was a Benjamite, a Jew from Benjamin, People always talk about the, the ten missing tribes. Uh, that's a misnomer. It's a misunderstanding. Uh, the Pashtuns out in Pakistan are not a lost tribe. Uh, they're just Pashtuns out in Pakistan, okay? The tribes, if, if you look at it, you know, many Jewish people, you know, were lost just because of their unwillingness to follow God and his instructions. But as a general rule, uh, the Jewish people... Are the Jewish people? We see it in the New Testament. Paul, an example, he's a Benjamite. He was also a Roman citizen. He was from a city in Asia Minor that, uh, uh, called Tarsus, and it was an important city. The fact that he was born a citizen means that Shaul came from a, a, probably a wealthy family. All right? And they were not just wealthy, but they were also religious and observant. They were Pharisees, Parushim. All right, so they were observant ones. And in this time, that means something. Don't think in terms of the black cats. I don't think that as we think about it in Skokie and certain of us in our, in our experiences, we, we've met Hasidic Jews or black hat Jews. Instead, I would encourage you to think about Paul's family as the modern Orthodox in my neighborhood, for instance. They're involved in business, they're involved in trade, but they're highly observant. That's Paul's background, okay? I think that's the best that we could understand in our time. He was educated in Jerusalem, so he went to yeshiva, something that the guys in my neighborhood did all the time. They always send their kids to yeshiva to be educated. And he was a student of Gamaliel the Elder. 
He was a leading Pharisee. We understand this because in Acts 9, he was involved in the stoning of Stephen. Why does it say that they laid their coats at the feet of a guy named Shaul, who later went on to persecute? Because he's somebody important. Also, from what I can understand, Shaul, if he hadn't become a believer in Yeshua, would have been one of the key figures we'd be reading about in the Mishnah and maybe later on in the Gemara. He was that kind of a person and I think had that kind of a stature and a status. It's one of the reasons they kept trying to kill him. <laughs> he, was, he was a big, well-known, important, ed- well-educated, knowledgeable fellow. That's Paul. Uh, he had a special mission from God, and that was to go among the nations. First of all, and you see it consistently, Shaul always went out to the Jewish community, and then through the Jewish community, he also went out to the Gentiles in that area. In fact, if we were to look at it, he went to the synagogue to reach the Jews. In the synagogue, he reached Jews, God-fearers, and Gentiles. Those were really the three groups in the synagogue. And then outside the synagogue, he, those were the pagans. Those were the people completely out of the regular circle of what was the Jewish community. And then last but not least, Shaul was killed for, in his, uh, killed for his faith in Yeshua somewhere around 67 CE. It's not recorded specifically in the Hebrew, or in the uh, book of Acts, uh, but he probably was killed by Nero around 67. It's funny, if you ever go to Rome, uh, uh, you know, they, there's a very good chance that they actually have his bones. It's funny, but it's, it's a long story. But uh, for the people back then, he was an important figure among the believers. And they probably would have found a way, because he was a Roman citizen, found a way to bury him properly. Just a note, all right? Now, the audience, Yeshua believers living what it is, what is in now mid, uh, the midsection of Turkey. And again, you'll see a map in a minute. Uh, these are uh, Galatia. I want to mention this. Galatia is the region. There was actually a pretty sizable and influential Jewish community up in that area. All right? So that's one thing to remember. All right? There are Jews in this area. Paul specifically, as you read the book of Acts, went first to the synagogues. And then outside the synagogues, one or two places, there was a, you see some pagans coming to believe, but a lot of important, influential Jews in this area. Okay? Uh, he was specifically writing to the congregations, these chehilot, these little communal groupings that he established. Uh, Galatia was Shaul's first destination for this journey because he grew up around there. Ever thought about that? He went first to a place that he kind of knew about. In fact, there's a very good probability that after he became a believer, as we'll learn later, he eventually ends up back in Tarsus. That's what they sent him because he was, everybody was trying to kill him. So he went back to his home city. What do you think he did in his home city? Established a congregation. That's what he did. He probably was reaching out and established a community. That's why when he started his first missionary journey, he didn't go to Tarsus. He went a little beyond Tarsus. He went as again, as you'll see in a minute. And so it's just something to keep in mind. And then finally, the Galatian congregations, this community he's writing to, is composed of both Jews and Gentiles who had come to faith during Shaul and Barnabas' work there. There's no indication that these people came to faith before Shaul. Shaul introduces to them the truth of who Yeshua is. Later on, when he writes the book of Romans, he's writing to believers, an established community that he did not create. These are people who came to faith in Yeshua, probably at Shavuot or Pentecost, 
according to Acts chapter 2, which I'll have the uh, high school or the teen group will come up and talk about that later. So what I want to do is we're going to show a video, very quick video that gives you a sense of the geography involved. All right? Uh, I think, so go ahead and uh, let it roll. Oh, go back. There we go. Audio Jungle. Very good. Nah, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. <laughs> okay? So, obviously, you get the picture. That was a lot of schlepping. And, of course, you did it in a nice car or a jet. No, they did by boat and by walking, probably, mostly. Maybe they got a, uh, a ride on a chariot here or there. That's a lot of schlepping around. Also, let's not forget that there were disappointments on this journey. I mean, Mark left them early on. Uh, they uh, saw some great things occur, but uh, saw some weird things occur. Uh, at one point, of course, Paul is stoned to death. <laughs> but the text says they thought he was dead, and he got up, shook himself off, and kept going. So it's a lot to talk about. I would encourage you, if you haven't done it for a while, read Acts chapters 13 through 15. Acts 15, uh, 13 through 15 captures all this. Okay, so this gives us this overview of what occurred in terms of this journey. Now, there's a lot of, I want to read a little bit here in terms of uh, things that uh, Christian theologians have articulated about the book of Galatians. Historically, Galatians has been foundational for many forms of Christian doctrine, proclamation, and practice. And it remains true today to say that how one understands the issues and teaching of Galatians determines in large measure what kind of theology is espoused what kind of message is proclaimed, and what kind of lifestyle is practiced. The book of Galatians is used generally within the Christian community to tell us, as Jews who believe in Jesus, that we don't have to be Jewish anymore, that we're not Jewish anymore, we're free from the law. All right. But then, Langenecker, who is this guy who said this, goes on, Galatians has, has been understood since Marcion, so the, basically the mid-2nd century, to teach the abolition of the law. The allegories in the text have also been used to support the general practice of allegorically interpreting the Hebrew scriptures. One good thing on our part is Marcion was considered a heretic, and so they refuted his beliefs. Continuing, it is in fact the separation of law 
into its ceremonial and moral parts and this type of static understanding of relations between the Testaments that characterizes origins thinking. And it is no exaggeration to say that these same features have been ingrained in most succeeding treatments of Galatians with only a few exceptions. And so that is kind of, as we can begin to see a problem, is the Christian community, beginning in the mid-second century, uses Paul's writing of Galatians to help put distance between the emerging Christian community from its Jewish roots, and specifically from the Torah. But even Langenecker, who's a Christian evangelical scholar, identifies this as a problem. And it goes on. The early Christian theologians, Tertullian, for example, stated Paul's opposition to the law at a minimum. The Testaments related together statically. The later Christian theologians, Christendom, for example, argued for a more dynamic interpretation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which led them to believe in a complete cessation and break, even insinuating the apostles followed the law disingenuously to placate weak Jewish believers who still wanted to follow the law after it was abolished. We need to understand today, and I will be going over this for the next several months, that the book of Galatians has been a hammer used by Christians to beat at Jews that believe in Jesus. <laughs> That's what it's been used for. All right? And I want to present a, a different perspective. I don't think that's what it's talking about at all. I think the book of Galatians is simply all about the pure gospel. How does someone come in right relationship to God? That's what it's all about. So, general purpose of Galatians. Again, to clarify Shaul's position as a shaliach. All right? You know, in essence, think about this. Paul, and by the way, you might say, well, why is it Paul? Why is it Shaul? Uh, hey, Paul, what's your name? What's your Hebrew name? Okay, there we go. That works. <laughs> you get it? You have any idea? Because you go through the commentaries, and people will say Christian commentaries, Christian authors, scholars who should know better will literally say Paul changed his name. Paul, did you change your name? No. Every Jew got two names. Maybe four. Where's Pesachia? Where's where's Barry when we need him? Barry's got a long name. Don't you have a long name, Jay? Don't you have more than two Hebrew Hebrew names in in your listing of names? Yeah. Why, Why is it so hard for the Christians to understand that Paul, when he's in the Jewish community, of course, everyone called him Shaul, especially when they called him up to the Torah. But in the, in the society in which he was in, he went by Paul, Paulus, which, was, which is the name that would allow him as a Jew to function within the greater Greco-Roman society. All right? He's not changing his name because he became a believer in Jesus. That's not what it was about. Again, the uh, second point to clarify the Besorah. This is really important. We're going to go right into it next week. To clarify the good news and what exactly it is that brings a person into a right relationship with God. If you're wondering why it's such a big deal, go back and read Acts chapter 15. That's why it's such a big deal. Acts chapter 15. All right, you had... And I'll just mention briefly, you have Jewish 
believers, some Jewish believers of the circumcision parties. You can imagine they're, they're more of a, of a, uh, a fervent group of, of observers. But they were requiring and were requiring within this group that they basically convert and live Jewish law. None of this is codified in 46, 47, 48 CE. None of this is codified. Do you guys understand that? The book of Acts has not been written. Not a single New Testament book has been written. Shaul writes the book of Galatians because he's saying, hey, someone is misleading you in making you think that if you're not Jewish, you have to become Jewish to come into right relationship with God. After he writes this book, he ends up going to, uh, to Jerusalem, and there in Acts 15, they have the whole discussion at the council, and there it is decreed that Gentiles do not become Jews. They do not become Jews, that they are free to live their lives. There are just some simple expectations for them uh, that are listed there in Acts chapter 15. All right? So we'll get, all this stuff will come out as we go through the book. Third, to clarify the purpose of the Torah and Gentile believers' responsibility to it regarding observance of the Torah. And then finally, to challenge the believers toward a deeper relationship with God. First couple of chapters are pretty much related to the top three issues. Okay? And so we'll take it apart little by little. Now, uh, going on, I want to uh, address... Uh, an issue that's important to me personally, and that is the issue of anxiety. If we could please see the video. If your usual bungee jumping spots just aren't making your heart race like they used to, consider checking out one of these locales. Here are the 10 greatest places to take the plunge. Number 10. The Royal Gorge Suspension Bridge, Colorado, United States. If a 900-foot fall sounds good, then head here. The bridge itself is one of the country's tallest, rising over 1,000 feet from solid ground. Number 9. Lucrans Bridge, Cape Town, South Africa. Two of every 10 people who set out to take the leap back off from the challenge. Not only is it 700 feet high, it's known to be in the path of some seriously strong crosswinds. Number 8. Macau Tower, China. If you find beautiful views of rivers and cliffs cloud your ability to focus on the adrenaline rush, consider this location. At the bottom of 750 plus foot drop is a parking lot. Number seven, the last resort, Kathmandu, Nepal. No serene water watching to calm your nerves here. The jump is built over the Koshi River, oh. one of the country's wildest. <laughs> Number six, the Rosaska Dam, Ticino, Switzerland. If the dream is to emulate James Bond, then this is the place. The opening sequence of the 1995 spy thriller GoldenEye was filmed here. After falling over 700 feet, a martini may definitely be in order. Number 5. AJ Hackett Sky Park, Sachi, Sachi, Russia. This site combines the pleasures of walking 650 feet above land on a suspension bridge and jumping off of it. Air divers can select their departure point of choice along the 1800-foot walkway. Number 4. The Kolbrine Dam, Malta, Carthenia, Austria. The opportunity to launch oneself off a dam that's over 500 feet high is rare. The novelty is reflected in the price, as it is one of the most expensive bungee excursions out there. Number 3. Topo Bungee, Lake Topo, New Zealand Talk about a grand finale. This place gives the option of plummeting straight into the ice-cold water below. The depth of the immersion is customizable. Number 2. Skybreakers, Finland 
Bridges and dams are great, but the problem for some is that they only build them so high. Thanks to this team of event organizers, the Chosen can push off from a hot air balloon floating 6,000 feet up in the sky. Number 1. Nook Bridge, Switzerland Once you've mastered jumping off of the site's shaky bridge, consider doing it in the dark. Every now and again, they offer moonlight events. Which bungee jumping adventure is next on your list? Okay. All right, so which bungee jumping event are you for? How many of you have bungee jumped? Zach has bungee jumped. That's sad. None of you have bungee jumped? I think we should all take a collection and, and uh, have Abe. We'll all pay and have for Abe to bungee jump. <laughs> now think about it. When you bungee jump, the entire premise is to leap out into a free fall and be saved by a rope that will hopefully, not only will it not break, but that the rope's ability to be elastic will not be so much so that you smash into the ground below. All right? I mean, I didn't want to show any, but you can every once in a while find a YouTube video of people that don't quite get that right, you know? Not a pretty picture. Now, I wanted to show that because it really asked the question, do you feel safe and secure? Now, I'm not talking here about your finances. I'm not talking here about your relationships. I'm not talking here about your housing situation. I'm talking here about your relationship with God. Do you feel safe and secure in your relationship with God? This is a key question when we look at the book of Galatians. Because remember, the entire point of the book of Galatians, in one sense is to relate to these believers that because of what Paul has taught them, they are safe and secure in their relationship with God. Later on, he writes to the Romans, there is nothing that will separate me. What what can separate, separate me from the love of God? Nothing. So here, he writes this book because he wants them to understand that the ideas that they're considering are actually making them unsafe. And insecure. They're moving them beyond what what God has provided through Messiah Yeshua. So I I want to uh, take us to the text. Um, So turn with me, please. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And uh, go ahead and look in the text, please. Uh, We're on page 1113. Page 1,113. So either uh, open up your your text, or if you struggle with looking on your phone, uh, put your phone away and open the text, or you can look on your phone. Depends if you've got the self-control, all right? I want us to look at the first five verses. First verse is very simple. Paul, an emissary, sent not from men or by man, but by Yeshua the Messiah and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So the very, very first verse, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Back then, who was an apostle? What is an apostle? A shaliach. Who is it? An individual. Now, people vary, but basically, in their opinion, but basically a shaliach is someone who had spent time with Yeshua. That's generally what people would say as the necessary authority in this time in order to be called an apostle, a shaliach, a sent one, someone who had spent time with with Yeshua. Acts chapter 1. 
gives us the basis of that uh, because Yehuda had gone and uh, betrayed Yeshua and then died, and they wanted to replace him with somebody who had spent time with Yeshua to fill out the 12, all right? And so this term, apostle, shaliach, it has some, some weight to it. It has some specific uh, expectations. Shaul is saying, I'm an apostle. Now, why can he say that? Later on, he tells us. He, ten- he spent time with Yeshua. I think that he knew Yeshua from afar when Yeshua was walking the earth. He was probably one of those guys among the parashim who was driving him crazy. I think that's very probable, okay? Uh, but it's certain that also in his writings that he spent time with Yeshua post Yeshua's resurrection and ascension. Yeshua shows up to him on the Damascus Road, and then Yeshua taught him things. And so he uses this title. So it's important for him to make this statement because he's going to have some position of authority. And it's not self-appointed, right? You go to certain parts of our Chicagoland, and there are self-appointed bishops, all right? Now, that's a funny thing, because in a, bishop, a bishop is never self-appointed. He's always appointed by other bishops. But you will find self-appointed bishops. You, you'll find self-appointed apostles. Apostles are not self-appointed. Shaul was selected by Yeshua himself, all right? And all the brothers with me to, the, to Messiah's communities of Galatia. So again, he identifies his office, this is a, or his audience. This is a specific group of people. The biblical text... When you study it, you want to understand, well, who wrote it? Who did he write it to? What are the circumstances? Right? Some text is universalized improperly. Improperly. All right? I think an example of this, to some extent, could be the instructions in 1 Corinthians 7, where it talks about uh, men should not put anything on their heads. And really the Greek says men should not have anything that comes down over their head. Something unique was going on in Corinth. Shaul called them on it. But some believers make that a universal. And so they say that wearing a kippah is unbiblical. I have a problem with that. Because I think they take a specific intended teaching and they universalize it. Forgetting that the book of 1 Corinthians was written to a group of individuals in Corinth in a particular context. Book of Galatians is not in... It, we cannot take all of it as universal because there are some of it that is specifically written for these Galatians. We can glean, we can glean insight and learning, but we have to understand context because some of it really may not apply to us at all. All right? And then we go to verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and shalom from God our Father and our Lord Yeshua the Messiah who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so this is, by the way, this is a normal approach. This is like saying, dear mom and dad. All right, Zach, when he writes a letter to his mom and dad, it goes, dear mom and dad. Shalom, and of course the shalom has dollar signs. School, dollar signs. Is going swell, dollar signs. I'm hungry, love Zach, okay? So letters in the ancient world followed a format. This is a basic introduction. It's a greeting. This is very common. 
And he begins his letters. If you've been reading Shaul, hopefully you're reading through the scriptures all the time. If you do not read it on a daily basis, have I got a chart for you. All right? But when you read the books of Paul, you will find that he always generally starts in kind of the same way. Now, what I want us to see in this are these three blue points. Paul is, an, is extending a blessing to these Galatian believers, and he's doing it in God's name. And he says three things. He talks about God's grace, his chesed. All right? Grace to you. Chesed. And, of course, chesed, and this goes back to the bungee jumping, God's extension of his steadfast love toward believers. God's extension of his steadfast love toward believers. Do you appreciate the fact that God has you by the ankle or your feet or however you strap on a bungee? And in your life as a follower of Messiah Yeshua, God's grace will go with you. God's grace will go with you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? No matter where you go, no matter what you do, that grace is sufficient. It will follow you, okay? And then God's peace, God's shalom. Peace, again, is, is wholeness. In Hebrew, what it really means is wholeness, wholeness. And God's relationship with believers, uh, it's, it brings us wholeness. You, can't, you don't have to go through your life in fear and in trepidation of God. You can rest in the fact that he loves you. And that his peace is with you. And that his peace is security for you. Just like that bungee cord will follow you, it won't let you go too far. Because God has his hand on you in your life. And you can rest in that truth. It brings a sense of security. You know, the... uh, The flip side of that, of course, is that if you tread where God doesn't want you to tread, he has a way of getting a hold of you. And and sometimes that can be painful. But as we go through life, isn't it nice to know that God will never leave us or forsake us? That we are secure in him. That we we are connected to him because he really is connected to us because of our personal belief in Yeshua's atonement. And that's this last part. God's besorah, God's good news, it has been provided for us. You don't earn it. We talked about this last week. The righteousness of God is not something you earn. God has provided it. Simply because you, by faith, believe. And that's a hard thing. I think that it's human nature to say, it's got to cost me something. It's got to cost me something. I got to do something, right? No. You don't have to do, but in essence, what you have to do is you have to break. Anybody ever been there where you've broken before God and you've said, I can't, I can't run any farther. I can't, I can't try to get away from him anymore. I give up, I surrender. It's true, it's real, you're God. You ever done that? Did that is that how you became a believer in Yeshua? That's how I became a believer in Yeshua. And God said, it's about time. Glad to, glad to be in relationship with you now. And he has kept me and held me. Just like that bungee cord. And I have tried every once in a while to go farther than he's wanted me to go. And it's hard. Because you have to kind of really move hard against those bungee cords. But you know what? He's not letting go of me. 
And what's nice is the harder you pull against the rubber band, harder it snaps back. Some way that's God's grace, isn't it? He holds on to us. And sometimes the coming back is a little bit shocking. But that's because he doesn't let go. He holds us. He holds us and will never let us go. This is his greeting. He starts by being very, very positive to the basis, the basics of the message. We come into right relationship with God by God's grace. And God holds on to us and provides for us shalom. Wonderful truth. If maybe you're here and you're not feeling too much shalom, too much peace in your life, maybe you're not really appreciating God's grace. Maybe that's something that you're really not appreciating right now. I encourage you to appreciate all that God has provided for you. His grace is without limit. And maybe, maybe you, you're, you're full of peace, but, but uh, your life is a little messed up when it comes to sin, and you're not doing what you know God wants you to do. You're not really feeling at odds with God per se, but you know you're not walking the way God wants you to, and you're afraid to talk to God about it because you think he'll find out, which again is just ridiculous, of course. There is nothing we can do as followers of Messiah Yeshua that will lead God to say, I'm done with you. God is not like us. You can go to God with whatever it is that you struggle with, and He, His grace is sufficient to forgive. When we come into the right relationship with God, we're made righteous by His, His understanding anyway. But I think sometimes... Our communication breaks down with God, and we just need to talk with him openly about those sins in our lives that we just need to confess, knowing he will forgive us. So, have you been personally blessed by God's righteousness? And what that really means is, are you today a follower of Messiah Yeshua? Do you really understand and appreciate the grace of God, the shalom, the peace of God? If you do, rejoice each day, remembering that God has extended to you, as a believer, his love that has no limit. Our love can have limits. Our love, as parents, we can have limitations in our love. We get annoyed with the kids, right? Every once in a while, you get annoyed with the kids. God's love has no limits. Rejoice in that. Really rejoice. Thank God for that. But the second... If you've been personally blessed by God's righteousness, live each day remembering you are secure in your relationship with God. That's tremendously encouraging to me. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, God's relationship with me is firm. He's got me by the ankles, and he'll never let me go no matter where I jump. So think about that and be encouraged by that truth. I want to encourage you at home. I mean, you can do it here too, but... You know, read Acts 13 through 15. Take some time, read through the book of Acts. In those sections, you'll read about this first missionary journey. And then if you can, I encourage you to memorize this verse, Galatians 1 through 3, which, uh, where's your D? Or, I'm sorry, Esther's in the uh, nursery. There's a song that follows this, uh, which I'm not going to sing right now. But it, it's a song that I'd love for us to learn. Chesed lechem veshalom. But memorize this verse and be encouraged. Grace to you and shalom from God our Father and our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this truth. As we start this book of Galatians, God, I pray that we would be encouraged by the truth of the good news, the Besorah. 
that we all come into right relationship with you, God, through faith in Messiah Yeshua's atonement, and that when we do that, nothing will separate us from your love. So, God, I thank you for this amazing truth, and I pray, God, that we would be encouraged this day as your righteous children. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.